Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. That means it's time for 10 with Tim. Each day, Monday through Friday, we take about 10 minutes going verse by verse through the Word of God. And yesterday, we started the book of Isaiah. So I hope you're with me. Stay with me. Um, you guys chose Isaiah. <laughs> it's a long book, but we're going to make good progress through it. I'm actually really excited. Isaiah starts intense and continues to just uh, deliver just the most epic uh, startling, shocking, shattering, beautiful images and words from the Lord, and I just love it. You're going to love it too. Chapter 2 is a really good example of how beautiful and shattering the Word of God can be all at the same time, and, and uh, again, I, I, I just love it. Now, sometimes you'll be tempted to think that Isaiah is dark. You know, there's so much judgment, especially in the opening part of the book. These first 39 chapters are called the book of judgment, and it's just judgment, 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 judgment. Um, and you may think it's hard to take, but then there are passages like the beginning of chapter 2 that will just, you know, break your heart with how beautiful it is. So no matter what, you know, God's wrath is never the final word. God's punishment will never be the end. There's always something on the other side. And uh, God's word always bends toward hope. Uh, and uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, just kicks that off. And it's just beautiful. Uh, I love it. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Uh, actually, the Hebrew says this is a word that Isaiah saw, a, a word that he saw. And I just think that's kind of funny. Like, how do you see a word? Um, well, uh, a little lesson here. Remember that Isaiah is writing in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, and, and literally there are fewer words in ancient Hebrew than we have in English. And so words would do double duty. And believe it or not, there's only one word. It's davar. One word that means both word and deed, or word or action. So in the Hebrew mind, words aren't just words, they're deeds. Uh, to say something is to do something, you know? And so, especially when you're talking about the word of the Lord, there is no separation between what God says and what God does. You understand? God's word is power, you know? So he sees this word of God and, and therefore sees the effects of the word. He sees what God's word brings into being. You understand what I'm saying? It's just, I just think it's an interesting way of seeing the world, you know, in terms of, you know, God's word being power, God's word making things happen. It goes all the way back to Genesis. God created everything, you know, out of nothing with his word. You see, his word calls things into existence. And, and so God is calling this new future into existence out of the rubble of, of uh, you know, Jerusalem. And it's just, and this is what he sees. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. You know, we just said that, you know, it's going to disappear like straw, like a great tree with withered leaves. But all of a sudden, God's word, you know, suggests this whole new possibility. If you're around Woodburn very often and we, we talk about vision, you'll know that I have a very personal definition of vision. I always say that vision is a revelation of what is possible when God's ultimate power meets our total obedience. Understand? It's a revelation of what's possible when God's you know, ultimate power you know, meets our total obedience. So what God wants to do, understand, uh, is always somehow tied up with us and, and our willingness to, as Isaiah would say, you know, learn his ways and walk in his paths and walk in his light. Uh, you, you see? 
And so what God wants to do, according to these verses, is nothing less than make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? Now, just a little thing. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, actually verses 2, 3, and 4, must be a standalone poem that Isaiah didn't necessarily write. Just because I say this because he quotes it here, but then so does Micah in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So Micah has this very same passage word for word. So um, this must be a standalone word, a standalone poem that is well-known, probably popular, and both of these prophets quote it. You understand what I'm saying? And so Isaiah, you know, drops it right in here, this amazing, you know, hymn or poem or word that, that people have heard before, but they need to hear it again because it reflects the possibility, you know, that Jerusalem, despite the judgment that is coming, it still remains the hope of the world, you know, because it is the place where God's presence, God's light, you know, is pleased to dwell. And so it's beautiful. Notice what God wants to do. It's this global vision. I mean, God never wavers from this global purpose. You know, throughout the Old Testament, sometimes, you know, we want to think of it as very narrowly, you know, aimed toward you know, the Jewish people. And God did choose the Jewish people for a very special purpose in salvation history. But that purpose was never narrowly aimed toward one nation. It was always intended to uh, to bless and save all the nations of the world, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And notice how in this great vision in the beginning of chapter two, all of the nations of the world, they stream, they come to the city of God. They come to the people of God. They come to Jerusalem, to the mountain of the Lord. And they say, let's go to the house of Jacob's God. Uh, he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his past. So do you see that? What God is doing, you know, is, is just nothing less than, than, than bringing his kingdom to earth. And, and how's he going to do that? Well, as Christians, we know ultimately he's going to do that through Christ, which means ultimately he's going to do that through the church. God always works through his people. And so notice that what God wants to do depends upon people learning his ways and walking in his paths. It's always going to come down to our obedience. Remember, a vision is a revelation of what is possible when God's ultimate power, God's always going to show up with power. The question is, are we going to show up with obedience? Will we learn his ways and walk in his paths? You see, God wants to do this, and God wants to do this through us, through the church. God wants to accomplish this global purpose. I mean, what were Jesus' very last words to us, to the church? Jesus' last words on earth were, to the ends of the earth. You know, it's a global purpose, and he's involving us. You see that? But, but I think it's important to note that God can never do through you what you haven't allowed him to do in you. And so this purpose, notice it's this, it's this amazing vision of peace. You know, the Lord will mediate between nations, will settle international disputes. They'll hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and nobody will train for war anymore. It's this amazing vision of, of peace. Do you understand that if you're going to be a part of that, as I said, God can't do through you what he hasn't done in you. And, and, and some of you can't be a presence of peace in the world because you're not at peace. And you're not going to be a presence of peace for the nations because you still can't even get along with your family. You know, you got a brother you haven't even spoken to in 10 years. I mean, you know, 
You know what I'm saying? So who are you kidding? You can't possibly, you know, be an agent of, of God's reign in the world until he is reigning in your own heart. You know, like I said again, he can't do through you what you want to allow him to do in you. So this vision of the world that, that is at peace and rest, you know, because of the light of the Lord, it, it starts with you. God is going to accomplish his starting, uh, his, his global purpose starting with you. That makes sense? Uh, verse 5 is the beginning of kind of a new section. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Again, it's, it's a call to obedience. Walk in the light of the Lord. And, and then uh, once more, the, the message turns back to darkness and judgment. Because, as verse 6 says, it's, it, this is a covenantal verdict. Remember, there's a covenant between God and his people, and the people have turned away. And so this is a covenantal verdict. God has had to reject his people because they, they have broken his covenant. One of the things I notice in verses 6, 7, and into 8 is the repetition of that word full. Uh, they filled the land with practices, with sorcery. You know, they've, it's full of silver and gold. Notice the prosperity, the wealth. It's full of silver and gold. Notice it's full of war horses and chariots. We just read where what God wants to do is, is create a world where nobody prepares for war anymore. But now we got the very people of God, you know, amassing weapons of war. Make no mistake, war horses and chariots. That's like saying tanks and missiles. You know, they're amassing these weapons of war. They're amassing wealth. They're filled with sorcery, full of silver and gold, full of weapons of war, full of idols. Notice this fullness, you know, repetition of that fullness. Because when you're that full of all of the things that God forbids, you can't possibly have room for the Lord, you know. You should probably examine your own heart there. Chances are you are so full of the things of the world that there's no room for the Spirit of God in you. You understand? Uh, isn't Isaiah really, really amazing? Uh, notice verses 11 and 17 are, are repetition of the very same verse, which probably is intended to let you know that that's a section between those two verses. It's called an inclusio. Remember that originally Isaiah didn't have chapters and verses, so sometimes he would signal a section with this kind of inclusio. He just repeats the same verse like a book ends for this amazing section. The Lord of heaven's armies has the day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and almighty. It's this theme of bringing down the proud, bringing down those uh, elite, wealthy you know, people who are, uh, continue to uh, rebel against the Lord and... Uh, uh, you know, just run roughshod over the lives of vulnerable and innocent people. I, I love this final picture of, you know, the, you know, these, these wealthy, you know, infidels, you know, who have broken faith with God, uh, polluting the land with their sin. And there's this picture in the end of they're like, they're crawling in holes because judgment is, you know, judgment is coming. They're trying to like crawl into holes and hide. You know, but notice there in verse 20, they crawl into the holes, but they're still carrying their, their stuff with them. They still got their, their iPhones, you know, and their Gucci purse and their idols. And, you know, they're just carrying all the, all of the very, you know, the, the very things that represent their sin, all the things that represent, you know, they're turning away from the Lord. They're still, they're running from God's judgment. They're hiding in holes, but they're carrying all of this stuff with them. And notice it says in the end, they're going to leave all of this gold and silver and idols, you know, going to leave it to the rats and the bats, 
You know, I think literally what Isaiah is saying there is it's just going to be, you know, left in the hole, left in the cave and buried in the dung of the rats and the bats. Uh, rats and bats are impure animals. So it's just a picture of utter degradation, utter descent into the filth, you know, that they themselves have chosen. They would try to escape the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty as he rises to shake the earth. And then verse 22 is just the, you know, the point, the message, you know, it's don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? Oh my goodness, that is so good. That is also good. That's chapter two. We'll pick up right there tomorrow, chapter three. Really, it's it's the a continuation of a section that's going to go into chapter four, this long sort of oracle of judgment. And uh, again, it's good stuff. I'll see you in the morning, uh, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. Tonight, if you are in Bowling Green, uh, I will be preaching at Greenwood Park Church of Christ. My friends there, my good friend, uh, Kenneth Grizel is uh, is is uh, lead elder there, and I love him so much. He's such a good brother to me, and I love this congregation. It's, it's one of the few places that I would take a Wednesday night out of Woodburn for to be at Greenwood Park. I do it once a year, and tonight's my night. So if you're a Greenwood Park person or have friends in Bowling Green, uh, I'll see you there tonight. I think the service starts at 6.30. Otherwise, Woodburn folks, y'all need to be right here at Woodburn. Six o'clock, it's the first Wednesday. We're gonna have a good night here at home as well. Uh, listen, I love you all. I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock. Have a great Wednesday.